Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. What's happening, everybody? Today on the show, I want to talk a little bit about a what I have been working on more recently in my own cocktail and mixology and spirits practice and why I think it's important and what I'm going to do to try to bring that to life. So from the beginning, my practice has always been about the idea of understanding basic technique plus simple recipes. You know, how do we generate a I can do this mentality in people? I think that's very important. And I do feel like once you kind of understand how to work a shaker, stir a drink, read a basic recipe, know which recipes to ignore because they are way too complex. From there, part of what our objective is, is to understand how do we turn around and strengthen our palate. If you look at, you know, a a late great uh, uh, kind of role model of mine, Anthony Bourdain, I remember in particular an episode, he was at the very storied uh, Spanish restaurant El Bulli with the chef Ferran Adria, and they talked about that Adria was just always tasting, and this is a very common thing in uh, bars and restaurants around the world, that uh, honing your palate, understanding what it is really like to understanding the taste between lemon and lime juice, understanding the difference between this tequila and this tequila, you know, how do they present? That ability to hone a palate is really kind of what strengthens and begins to set us apart. As the uh, the bar uh, Death and Company wrote in one of their books, uh, something along the lines of the, in, the idea of in the palate is wisdom. And wisdom, of course, just comes from trial and error and learning. How do we end up kind of honing that? And there are all sorts of reasons to do it. But I, I for whatever reason, as I was getting ready for this, I thought of that story of that we've all heard, what urban legend or not, you know, that like you hear about some secret study being conducted at a high-end cocktail party and, you know, guests either being told they're served, you know, very expensive wine and it being very, very basic or what is it? I feel like I heard one time the story that, uh, you know, you're being handed this very fancy hors d'oeuvre and it turns out it was Chicken McNuggets. The power of suggestion is very, very powerful. But in addition to that, I think comes this idea that if we do not have a honed palate, It's hard for us to discern or think about what does quality versus not taste like. So for me, uh, 
I think that this is, of course, most importantly done for people through a bunch of, you know, as you often call in the business world, A-B tests, side-by-side comparison. We do this all the time at the wineries. Uh, It happens with very popular things like whiskeys or if you go to a distillery, for example. But the more that you can understand uh, the bounds of or how something can vary, the more it helps you understand how to begin to spot that. And when you initially launch into a practice like this, I think it is most valuable not to taste two things that are very similar, but very, very different. How do you taste two tequilas, uh, one from uh, Highlands versus one from a valley? How do you taste, uh, as I have sitting right here in front of me right now, two different rums? I have a uh, a rum called Probitas, uh, which is both from Barbados and Jamaica. And when I, as I've got it right here, why not? I'll pick it up. So when I smell this one, this Probitas right here, and it's really good, uh, it is uh, it is kind of very, a little bit tropical. You get a little bit of fruity, but also what is sometimes through the Jamaican rum world called a little bit of unctuous. You can, it's a little bit of, it's a little funky. Versus on the right, I have a French style rum from my uh, St. Louis buddy, uh, Demetrius Kane, his white rum. And when I smell this, which is made in a completely different style, it is very vegetal. It is very sharp on the palate. And uh, to, to look at both of these, and the Probitas does have a, a shade of color, a tiny, tiny bit of color. But to look at these and to say, you know, oh, I don't like rum. Um, if you had a really bad rum experience, hey, you got to do you, right? But I think uh, if your memories are Bacardi and Captain Morgan, for the example of what's here in front of me, I could, you know, you can open up a world for someone and show them that, like, to say you do not like rum is such a wide net being cast. You know, like tasting a kind of a, uh, a, a Tennessee whiskey versus a very peaty, smoky uh, scotch. They're very, very different. And so this is something that I think is important as we go forward. In addition to tasting something on its own when possible, I think it's always interesting, you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, it's something I think a lot of us can come back to a lot more easily. When you taste a, a white wine, you know, if you were to taste the grape alongside that, could you actually discern, oh, there's the grape right there. Then if I take it a step further and give you, take it to the brandy stage. So we have fermented the grapes to get wine. Now we're distilling the grapes to get brandy. Can you still pick that up? So something that I've kind of been chasing more and more now is the idea that a lot of rums are created from blackstrap molasses, or in some cases, straight cane sugar juice. You know, tasting the raw ingredients, tasting the spirit, tasting any intermediaries that exist, a cider in the uh, world of, of apples or pears, to watch what this is like when it is cultivated in a different way, a different strand uh, of the original ingredient, how it's fermented, how it's distilled, these things all play an impact in how it ultimately ends up in the bottle. And the more that you have the words for it, and so, you know, one of the things that you're going to begin to see coming from me is more and more content on analyzing and describing what I'm tasting. 
And I think that's another important thing too, is sometimes, you know, if I were to hand you this bottle of Demetrius's rum, and I'm going to give it a little another sniff because it's just that wonderful. You know, if I put that in front of you for the first time, like just all the lights are going to go off in your brain. But if you don't have words to assign to that, you know, you might just be like, wow, that smells crazy or interesting or terrible. Hopefully you don't say terrible. But to be able to give people common words that are used to describe aroma, taste, mouthfeel, is the kind of thing that, especially when tasting them side by side, okay, this one is seemingly a lot sharper. This one's seemingly a lot sweeter. This one has a lot more uh, burn on it than the other. These are the things that ultimately help us better understand what's happening in a glass, cocktail or not. In addition to that, that is where the cocktail being this medley of things, you know, the daiquiri, uh, the whiskey sour, whatever, you know, you got spirit, citrus, and sugar. What does that look like when it is in versus out of balance for you? And that can look one way versus the other for you or to me. But, you know, to hand you three different daiquiris, one that has, is that, uh, that I've basically frozen, one that is at room temperature, and one that I have freshly shaken, that's probably going to be more the ideal temperature, to taste the cocktail as it has gotten really cold versus to understand how forward everything becomes when it's at room temperature, to taste a cocktail that I have purposefully uh, put a lot of citrus in or a lot of sugar in. It's the kind of thing that helps you better understand, oh, okay, that's what that tastes like there. So this is, for me, what I feel like is kind of the next step in the evolution, and it ultimately requires a lot of experimentation. It requires uh, you to frankly sit down with whatever you have at home uh, with a little guide and notes and preferably, good news, with a friend, uh, have them come over and break out your whiskeys, your tequilas, whatever. Take notes uh, and I'll eventually I will publish a, a kind of tasting guide as I get my classes out of the gate here. But to take notes privately and then share publicly. Hey, here's what I think I tasted. Oh, well, well, here, well I tasted something completely different. Oh, wow. Doesn't mean one of you is right or wrong, a different vantage point. And uh, going back to referencing them for the second, but also countless time too, um, one of the authors from the Death & Co. books likes to often say, if it reminds you of cutting your parents' grass or sitting on that beach you were on in Vermont. I don't know if there's other beaches in Vermont. I don't know. Uh, so sitting on that beach wherever, um, maybe in Vermont or pretending you're on a beach in Vermont, I think that, you know, as you begin to think about assigning memories to it, it's the kind of thing that helps put you more in the moment. And this is also something that just requires a little bit of practice. Um, having the begin begin to exercise that muscle, but also the, the courage to say something like, wow, this reminds me of, you know, backyard uh, barbecues at my parents' house, right? So I think this is where over time you begin to see some of those wild descriptors maybe you've rolled your eyes at before, but as we hone our palate, um, it helps take us to a time and a place as well. So I think uh, without ever needing to drag something on too long, 
This is what I am working on right now. The idea that um, the next step, I believe, in the journey to cocktail confidence, once you understand how to work the tools, once you understand how to punch out a basic recipe, identify similarities between one drink and another, the next step is to really begin to hone your palate. And this is the thing that uh, will help you better understand what to do with one spirit versus another. Oh, wow, this one's a little bit sharper. Probably going to need a little bit more of whatever modifiers you're leaning on, liqueurs, syrups, juices, etc., to help tone it down. Oh, this one's a little bit lower proof. This one's a little bit softer. Uh, probably don't need to dial this recipe back uh, or up as much in order to meet it. So I hope that gives you an idea of where we're going if there are questions, uh, please, 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 I'd love to hear them. Uh, you know, always feel free to email me through the website or you can reach me at chris at decodingcocktails.com. Would love to hear your thoughts on what you'd like to see me explore on the palate front. So that's what we've got for this episode, and we will see you again next time. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody. Thank you.